I just wanted to say as the campus minister of Alabama A&M, um, we are incredibly thankful for this church, for you all, for your support of us financially, prayerfully. And um, I mean, I always say this, we couldn't be at A&M without this church and without you all. And so uh, we are deeply grateful for that. And um, I'm glad to be able to be here this morning and preach and bring God's word to us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses. And as always, this is, this is God's good word. It stands over us. Um, it is for our good. It's for our benefit. Therefore, let us give our attention to it. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's God's word. Let me pray for us this morning and pray for our time. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge you to be the Lord and giver of life, and not just physically, but spiritually. Uh, we acknowledge that apart from your spirit being at work, we are dead that this word will fall on deaf ears, that we will not hear, we will not repent, we will not believe, unless you, Spirit of God, are at work. Our prayer this morning is that you, again, God, would draw near to us, that you would use your word to change us, to do the supernatural work that you do of making us more like Christ, of encouraging our, our burdened souls, our weary souls, of confronting us in our sin, in our disbelief, in our doubt. I ask God that you would do the kind thing for us this morning and be our teacher. Uh, for we, your people, we do not need to hear from a man, but we need to hear from you. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to my heart, uh, 
so that I will respond to the very word that I'm preaching. I ask God that you would soften our hearts, open our ears, and open our eyes that we might believe, that we might see, that we might hear. And will we see Jesus in all of his glory? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. New year, new me. New year, new me. It is the mantra um, that I've been given a, a group of guys um, who I meet with. Alex is a part of these guys, a group of pastors um, in this area. We meet um, biweekly um, just for accountability to keep each other encouraged. And, um, and one of the things that I always say is new year, new me. And um, what's funny about that, y'all, is um, I have a incredible habit, a gift of being late. Um, like it's, I think it's God given, like seriously. Um, and, and so like what, what always happens is no matter what, I, like I can plan hours, days in advance and I will still end up being late. Um, and so these guys have, they've just kind of given up on me. Like, okay, Roy, we meet at eight. They just say, oh, Roy's going to be here at eight thirty, eight forty-five, whatever, whenever he decides to show up. And every week I come up to them and I'm, and I say to them, Hey y'all, this is, this is the new year. This is the new me. Um, so I did that all last year, y'all. Like, it was September. I was like, new year, new me. You gotta, you gotta believe in me. Like, and like these guys would laugh at me all the time. Um, but what, one of the things that I think about that and I think about resolutions in general, um, is, you know, we kind of are, we are led by, you know, just kind of this blind optimism, um, that, you know, whenever a new year comes, it, it brings change. It brings hope. Um, it gives us courage. It gives us encouragement. And we just think that just because our calendars switch over from December 31st to January 1st, that at the stroke of midnight, we are changed. And, y'all, that's, that's not the case. Like, if sanctification was by time passing, that would be awesome. But it's not the case. But we always, every year, we psych ourselves up. I'm going to lose that weight this year. I'm going to get that gym membership. I'm going to hit it hard. In two weeks, you do it, and then the rest of the year, it's done. It's over. <laughs> or I'm going, to, I'm going to live better. I'm going to do all these things. We make these grand plans, and by the time it's February, all the optimism is worn off. We've kind of realized, oh, wait, this is, I'm still the same person from last year, that nothing has changed. And as I, I think about that phrase, new year, new me, um, that one of the things that I resolved to do this year was to not overburden myself with work, to not take on as much as I did last year. And here it is, January 5th, I've already broken that resolution. That my wife is away in California. I knew she was going to be gone. I was going to be keeping the kids. And I was asked to preach this morning. And you know what I said? Yep, I'll do it. I can do it. I can do that. And y'all, like, I got here at 1027. Like, like that's, that's terrible, y'all. Like, seriously. Like, I know I'm, y'all are laughing. Like, I'm serious. Like, my kids would not cooperate. But here it is. New year, new me. And as I think about that story, that one of the things that I realize, and you realize, is that sin is, is it's not dealt with that easily. That as much as we would like to be encouraged and cheerful and 
really to think that things will change. Sin is not so easily dealt with in that manner. That in the same way you learned habits, in the same way you learned practices of sin and behaviors, that that is the same way that God, by his spirit, has to renew you and restore you to himself. That yes, as you become a Christian, there are some things that God takes away from you, but there are some things that you will deal with the rest of your life. And I hope you understand that as a Christian. That for some of you, you will always struggle with a terrible temper as a Christian. That for some of you, you will always struggle with lust. That for some of you, you will always struggle with depression. And y'all, that is the result of sin on us and on our world, that things are not as they ought to be. And we know it, but we hope that things would change. And we are all affected by sin. That it's the reason why you scream at your kids when they're not doing the things that you want them to do. Why you discipline your kids in anger for, for being kids, for being three-year-olds, for being five-year-olds. It is the reason why you are addicted to porn. It is the reason why you really don't like this church, why you really don't like the people here. It is the reason why you complain about the worship every week. Like, seriously, y'all, this is sin. This is what sin does to us. This is the reason why you would rather be watching a football game this morning than being here in worship. And this passage speaks to us in incredible ways that the answer for our sin, that the answer that gives us hope and encouragement is, is Jesus Christ, y'all. That, that is your only hope. That in this passage, that God is trying to call us to again believe the gospel of Christ. And that that would be our resolution. That God is calling us to believe the gospel. I know that phrase is, is, is very loaded. But I'm going to use just this passage because in different places, it can mean a lot of different things. It can have a lot of different nuances. But in the context of this passage, believing the gospel means that you believe what it says about God's relationship to you and to us as his people. And then believing the gospel means what it says about your relationship to the church. So if we can look at it under those two headings, that believing the gospel means believing what it says about God's relationship to you. And secondly, believing the gospel means what it says about your relationship to the church. So what does the gospel say to us? That when you come to this passage, Philippians 2, this is, if you are a Christian, this is not an unfamiliar passage. That this is probably one of the most well-loved passages of scripture. Why? Because of verses 5 through 11. It is what scholars and theologians refer to as the hymn of Christ. And they think that it was Paul who penned this hymn for the sake that the church would sing this hymn together in worship. That when Paul begins, have this mind in yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus in verse 5, and goes on and on and on, 
that that verse, those verses that follow, are the ones that strike us the most. They're the ones that we remember the most. Now, while I say that, one of the things that can become a danger with Christianity is, like, for example, if you memorize this verse and say, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, have this mind in myself, which is mine in Christ Jesus, that if you have this verse memorized, that the only thing you can think about is what you do for God. That Dan Doriani, when he talks about this, he talks about this being kind of this Nike Christianity. Y'all know the model for Nike, just do it. That we go through the Bible and we see all these things that God has done, but we only focus on what God is calling us to do. And in fact, this is the way I read my Bible in high school. That when I would read the Bible, I would skip most of the, the beginnings of Paul's letters. Because I don't need to hear about being saved. I don't need to hear about the gospel. I don't need to hear about sin. I don't need to hear about all those other things. Just tell me what I need to do, Paul. And y'all, what is incredibly dangerous about that is that you undercut the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the gospel is not just you needed Jesus back then, but you need Jesus now. You will need Jesus in the future. And if you are apart from Christ, there is no hope for you. That you are powerless. That apart from Jesus, you really can't do nothing. He said it, not me. Like, you can't, you can't do anything. And what we do is we, we tend to think, I should be better than this. I should have been done with this sin by now. This should have been something I dealt with as a teen. This shouldn't keep coming up. And what God is trying to speak to us, to speak to you and to speak to me, is that you need Jesus. And that is why I sent him. And that is why in Christ you have these blessings. If you have trusted in Jesus, these are the blessings that befall you. And Paul, in verse 1, begins to talk about some of these blessings. That as he's addressing this church in Philippi, he says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and in the way that he is saying it, it seems as if he's saying that this is, this is possible for you to have. But what he's actually doing in a roundabout way is affirming to the Philippians that, no, you already have this. It would be as if, if I told you and I was trying to assert this statement to you, if you're a man, you're crazy. What I'm saying to you is that you're a man, if you're a man, you're crazy. That's, that's pretty straightforward. It seems like it's a possibility, but what I'm asserting is, no, this is true about you. That Paul is talking about these blessings and saying, look at your life, church. Is there any encouragement in Christ? And certainly you can look at the hard times and see that the only way you are where you are right now is because of Jesus pulling you through that. That If there's any affection, any love, any participation spirit, that all these things that Paul is saying, this is yours in Christ. This is God showing you 
that he loves you. It is yours. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. It is given to you by faith in Christ. And then Paul goes on in verse 5 through 8 to this hymn that we refer to, the hymn of Christ. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Y'all, a few weeks ago, we celebrated the birth of Christ. We celebrated the incarnation. That is a big deal because it is showing you that God gave, gave up glory to save us, that God stooped low to raise us, that this is, this is pointing to that, that God, when he took on flesh, as one hymn says, he, he was rich beyond all splendor, but all for love's sake he became poor. What was God doing this for? It's for, for you and for me. He was doing it for us, his people. That Jesus is just not taking on flesh just to show off, like, look at me, y'all, I'm cool. Like, he is going to die. That this is God himself coming to rescue his people. He is coming to save us. And you have to know that this was humiliation. You have to know that God giving up all these things was him lowering himself. That even if you consider the death on a cross, I want y'all to know how, how, how foolish it was by the world standards for a man to die on a cross. Because, you know, in American culture, we romanticize that we have chains around our necks. If you wore that chain around your neck with a cross around your neck in first century world, People will look at you like you were crazy. Why? Because it was the death reserved for the worst criminals. That it was the death that was considered to be a cursed death. That that was the worst way to die. It would be like you walking around with the electric chair around your neck. People will look at you like, what's, what's wrong with you, dude? Like, and this is God. God himself dying on a cross. Why? For us. The C.S. Lewis, when he talks about what it was like for Jesus to become man, he said that, that Christ becoming man was like a shepherd becoming a, sh- a lamb in order to sacrifice himself to save the rest of the flock. Just think about that. That Christ becoming man It was like a shepherd becoming a lamb to save the rest of the flock. And, y'all, that is to show us the depth of God's love for us. Even while we are in our sin, even while we are a mess, even while we are jacked up, that God is trying to communicate to us, hey, I really do love you. I know that stuff. I know the stuff you're doing right now. I know the stuff you will do. 
That is why I sent my son to die. That is why Jesus went to the cross willingly. That is why he gave his life over for his people. So that you and I might know peace with God. So that you and I might know that really and seriously our sins are dealt with. That by faith, y'all, this is the promise of God's word. You are God's child. You are his son. You are his daughter. And while you think about all these things, that don't miss the fact that this is the message of the gospel. That God saves a people who cannot save themselves. That God saves sinners like us. And y'all, we need him. We all need him. And so the gospel means that you wake up every day, every moment of your lives, and realize that. That if it had not been for Jesus, there would be no hope for me this morning. If it is not for Jesus going before me, it is, if it is not for his spirit being at work in me, then everything I'm doing is futile then the best I could hope for is 50 years in this life with no pain and no troubles because after that, I'm going to perish. And God is saying, I love you more than that. Salvation is more than just you being saved from hell. It has so many blessings. You know me. You will live forever. You have eternal life. And the impetus for you doing anything for God It's not so that you can merit or earn salvation. The impetus is that God has already granted life to you in Jesus Christ. So the reason you live holy is because of Christ. The reason you do the things that Paul is about to call these people to do is because of Christ. That the gospel, that believing the gospel means that you and I believe what it says about our relationship to God. That God's relationship to us, apart from Christ, we are without hope. And all this is given to us by grace. But secondly, believing the gospel means that we believe what it says about our relationship to the church. And I want to clarify what I mean when I say the church. I mean the church with the capital C, I don't mean this building. Um, I mean the people of God collectively gathered here this morning to worship God. And not only these people locally, but the church of God globally. The church of God, regardless of denomination, that for all of the people who name Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are the church, that they are the ones who are the sons and daughters of God. And what that means is they are brothers and sisters in Christ. That because someone is not here this morning worshiping with you or they worship on another day does not stop them from being your brother and sister in Christ. That Jesus has brought together all these people who are so different, who are from far places, who are not like us, And he has brought them to himself 
for his glory. And what that means is that you and the people you're sitting next to, you ought to be building relationships with each other. You ought to be getting into each other's lives. You ought to be loving and serving one another. And that's where Paul is going to go. That's really what this passage is about. That Paul, as he is trying to instruct this church in Philippi about how to live, these are some of the things that are going on. That Paul, most Bible scholars and theologians think that he might have wrote this letter in prison. Imagine writing a letter in prison. That wouldn't be fun. Um, this is called the joy letter by, by, by means of joy being brought up so many times. Paul is probably about to die. He alludes to it in chapter 1. He's probably about to be killed. And not only that, that he comes to this church and there's so much stuff going on. That if you get to chapter 4 of this, this letter, that it names two people by name that Paul says, tell them to stop fighting. And imagine if your name was written in the Bible, that people read that about you. Like, tell these two to stop fighting. The names of these two women are Yoda and Syntyche, if you want to look it up. But just imagine that. Y'all, what is that saying about the church? The church is messy. Yes, it is. Why? Because it is full of sinners. That these ideas of the perfect church, y'all, they are a facade. They are not real. But there's a saying, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you will mess it up. I don't know if y'all heard that. But it's true. Like, the, the, the point of it is, y'all, that church life will be messy. Church life will be messed up. Be, why? Because you have people who are so different from one another. But Jesus loves the church, y'all. Jesus died for the church, y'all. Jesus is making the church like himself. He calls the church his bride, y'all. And as Cyprian of Carthage, Carthage said, that you can't have God as your father unless the church is your mother. That the idea of you being a Christian and you can just go off into the woods on Sunday mornings and read the Bible and you've had worship with God, that is nowhere in Scripture. That every time you read in the Bible, it is always to a community of God's people. Always, plural. Even when you read this letter and you read you, it's you, plural. It's never to one person. And it's meant to show us Y'all, the church is God's means and God's instrument for sanctifying us, for growing us. That the best place you can be this morning is right here, right now. As hard as that is to believe. That the best place that you can be is worshiping God and serving God and singing of God and fellowshipping with believers. And letting people into your lives. It's why church membership is important, y'all. It's not just something we made up. Because when you become a member of a church, this is what you're saying. You're giving the men that God has put in place 
over this local body of believers the authority to speak into your life. You're giving them the authority to seek the gifts that you might have, to seek the ways that you might be stirred up to holiness, to walk before God. And when you don't join the church, what you are saying is, I don't really want that. That I don't want the means that Jesus has ordained for my sanctification and my growth. And you're cutting yourself off from the body of Christ. Again, the church is not perfect. Again, the church is not infallible. But God works through the church, y'all. And you see that in this passage. That even as we bring all these people together, that as this church in Philippi, all these people with all these differences, that Paul has to say this. That count others more significant than yourselves. That in the spirit, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this is the point. If you were already doing this, if this church was already doing this, Paul would not need to say this. Which means this, that in each, in any church, this side of heaven, y'all, there will be problems. And we as God's people have to remind ourselves, this is what we're called to. We're called to love one another. We're called to have the same mind. We don't have to agree on all the, everything. But we're called to unity with one another. We're called to fellowship with one another. And to emphasize that reality even more, it's then that Paul points them to the example of Christ. That this is your mind in Jesus. That if you want a model for what it means to submit, to serve, to give yourself over to God's order, to God's ordained institution, then look at God himself. And that is the beauty about this, y'all. God is not calling us to do something that he himself has not done. That God submits to the will of his Father. That Jesus submitted to the will of his Father. That he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death. And if you would dare call yourself a Christian, then you must realize that the men that God has put in place over this church, y'all, they are here for your good. That the women who are in leadership, who God has put in place in this church, y'all, they are for your good. That yes, they're sinful. Yes, they're fallen. They're called by God for your sake. And they will give an account to God. They will answer to God. So it is, it is not that God will be mocked or that God is missing if they're not good leaders in place. He, he's not missing this. But what God is showing us is that 
this is how much I love you. Did I give you men who love you and serve you? Did I give you women who love you and serve you? And it is for your good. It is what we need. It is the way we ought to think about the church. It is given throughout scripture. That Jesus is the head of the church. That Jesus is the one who has put this in place for our benefit. And these people, you ought to be getting to know, they are your brothers and sisters. Regardless of what they look like, talk like, dress like, that if they are believers in Christ, you show them love, you show them respect, you count them more significant than yourselves. You look out for your own interest, look out for their interests as well as your own. And God is showing us that this is the way he ministers to us and feeds us and shepherds us through all the harsh realities of this life. That we, his people, might know that his love is to us. And so as you think about this passage, as you think about resolutions, that I would say that this is a resolution, y'all, that should be all your days as a Christian. That you remember what you were like before God saved you and how the gospel speaks to the fact of you being made right with God, you being made a son, you being made a daughter of God, a child of God. And that's all because of God's grace to you in Christ. And not only that, but God gives you the church that it might be for your good and for your benefit. Will we resolve as God's people to believe that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you um, for our Savior, Jesus. Uh, We could not save ourselves. Uh, We were without hope. We were once not a people. Uh, We were aliens and strangers to the promises of God. And yet, Jesus, you brought us near, we who were once far off. You've made us your people. Uh, We thank you for the church. Um, As messy as the church is, with all her warts and wrinkles and blemishes, Jesus, you love her. You delight in her. You will make her beautiful. Uh, We thank you for that commitment to your bride, Lord. Uh, We thank you for the hope of future glory that awaits us. Uh, We thank you for your patience with us. Um, We know the many ways that we fail to live for you. Um, And we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy to us. Uh, We ask for more of your spirit to empower our living. We ask for more of your spirit to help us to walk after you, to long for what you long after, to love what you love, to hate what you hate. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us um, and that we would know it, that we would believe it, that we would walk in it. Um, And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.